Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, uh, they run from 7 till 8 p.m., uh, third Friday of every month, uh, and from 7.30 to 8 p.m., uh, we invite callers to call in with any questions related or unrelated to the subject um, and do encourage people to try and stay on topic wherever possible, although I know people have questions that they've probably been longing to ask and we get them also. So anyway, it's all good. Um, it is a uh, an open discussion from 7.30 on, so um, I wanted to uh, give the outline of this evening's show, which will be a continuation of uh, endocrinology, so part two. Last month... Um, as always, we are joined by Dr. Ray Pete. And last month, um, Dr. Pete was um, discussing some of the uh, Parkinsonisms uh, and some of the symptoms and causality. Um, a lot of what we read, and it's part of this evening's show too, in terms of the intro to it, um, is subject to bad science or no science at all or just downright uh, yeah, lies. Um, so... I'll get going by introducing the um, intro, intro for the for the show, and then uh, we'll get Dr. Pete to join us and uh, see where the show goes. It's a big old subject. Uh, I think when I first started thinking about doing endocrinology as a subject, um, what I don't want is, is for people to get too bored, because <laughs> I know some of it's pretty dry. Uh, but we'll try and keep it um, lively, but wanted to give you an overview of endocrinology and the organs that secrete the hormones and the target organs that are either stimulated or inhibited by them, just to bring out Dr. Pete's uh, understanding of hormone physiology. That is, after all, his specialty, um, and for which he has for the last 35, 40 years been um, working, studying uh, through his PhD and through his uh, working life, putting into practice. I think it's uh, more like uh, 45 years now. Okay, it's probably 45. We've been doing this show for 10 years nearly. So uh, we've been doing this show actually for 13, but uh, getting on getting on close to 10 with Dr. Pete. So in a, su- in a search uh, for truth, uh, there seems an endless variety of rabbit holes that one can travel through in so many disciplines and probably none more so evident as riddled in medicine. Sometimes ignorance plays a part, sometimes it's plain corruption, other times it's sheer malevolence and eugenics-based and science's greatest ally is verifiable observation and hard facts speak volumes to the truth. How we perceive the world influences our very being in the world and our understanding shapes our response and interaction with our environment. Two ends of the spectrum being the example of learned helplessness and its counterpart, environmental enrichment, uh, both of which have been discussed on previous shows with Dr. Pete. All of these shows, incidentally, for people listening perhaps for the first one or two times, uh, they're all accessible um, as an audio archive, either from kmud.org, looking at the audio archives, look for Friday Night Talk, uh, and the third Friday of every month. They do, unfortunately, only keep six months of the uh, uh, archives. But um, we have got every show that we've done from 2009. Eight. Eight, eight. Yeah, there's a couple in 2008. From 2008 uh, right up until um, January uh, of 2016, and I'm busy putting the rest of 2016's and this three months of uh, this year on, up on our website, which is www.org. WesternBotanicalMedicine.com. 
So those archives there are freely downloadable and uh, a great resource for people to want to find out more about Dr. Pete's work. Um, so anyway, how we understand physiology that shapes our approach to aberrations within it and the outcome is modulated by this faithful scientific approach through verifiable observation on the one hand and the holistic realisation that the web of life is indeed fluid and open to events so strange at this point in our evolution uh, from transcendental meditation as a healing modality through to the latest theories of quark entanglement and quantum physics. And nowhere else does this multiverse exist within our very being as living organisms than the nervous system, and particularly the endocrine system, which begs the question, what do we know? How have we arrived at this knowledge, and how accurate is it? After all, hard facts are a good start. And Dr. Pete has been a long-time guest on this show, and I'm constantly reminded things are not the way I thought they were. That is, I was taught an incomplete account of what was understood then from the scientific perspective because often it was not scientific but a bogus interference of the truth. A truth which has been elucidated somewhat but buried in the past, fast moving into the new paradigm of medicine's cause and effect, a drug for a deficiency approach, as it were, a lock and key fallibility. So to understand the interplay of glands, their hormone secretions, and distant targets affected by the secretion takes a scientific approach which understands the fluidity of the organism and a questioning of the current paradigm to see a new way through the rabbit hole. So what is a hormone or what model of the organism is implied? Do you need a head in order to run the body? This is not an actual question as a head houses a brain to which all is connected and answers to, but a rhetorical question to understanding what it is we are seeking. So I had this uh, conversation with Dr. Pete this afternoon and uh, wanted to ask you, Dr. Pete, first of all, the question then, what is a hormone? Because I know you've got a very different uh, outlook on it. Um, uh, that was a question I brought up with my uh, endocrinology students at the Naturopathic College in the uh, 1970s. And uh, uh, it, uh, in, against the background of, of classical endocrinology, uh, it, it has a, a different meaning than when you look at it uh, against contemporary uh, theory of what they're teaching the medical students. Uh, so uh, my students were uh, sort of uh, confused by uh, the way I presented the, the question, but uh, if you look at the, the standard definition that a, a hormone is something uh, secreted by cells somewhere in the body uh, into the body fluids and uh, moves in those fluids and acts on cells somewhere else in the body. Uh, if that's the, the working definition of a hormone, then uh, can you say that uh, lactic acid and carbon dioxide are just as much hormones as anything else because they're created by various cells and uh, move in the body fluids and definitely act on cells in other parts of the body. Uh, but uh, the uh, what has developed over the last uh, oh, 30, 40, 50 years uh, incorporates the idea of genes as uh, the really controlling agent of any cell. And so if a a substance is going to act on a, a cell in a different part of the body, it must be somehow activating on its genes. 
And so the idea of a receptor as something that picks up something from a cell's environment to activate the genes within that cell, uh, that has come to uh, the center of, of the textbook um, type of medical endocrinology. But uh, the, way, the way I see the subject uh, really is an extension of the very beginnings uh, around the middle of the 19th century. Uh, Charles Edward Brown Seckard, for example, uh, was he he uh, took over as a professor uh, following uh, 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 the, the um, glycogen uh, researcher uh, whose name I, I can't get right now, but uh, he he was a major uh, physiology uh, figure throughout. Uh, France and uh, pretty much around the world. He became famous when he, in his old age, uh, claimed uh, that squashing testicles in a, a watery solution and injecting uh, the solution would rejuvenate a, a man's virility. Uh, he described the changes that he saw in himself and uh, it took off around the world. But uh, for various reasons in the 20th century, almost every textbook of endocrinology and every course of endocrinology starts out by ridiculing that as a complete mistake, that it was nothing but a placebo, because they say testosterone isn't water-soluble. But uh, he, did, he wasn't saying that he was injecting testosterone. He was sure. uh, making a a squash yep. solution of testicles. Right. And uh, the, the testicle is, is full of uh, hormones, um, uh, many of which are uh, fairly insoluble in water, but it's also full of lipids, which solubilize right. and emulsify yeah. any of the more or less insoluble steroids. So, well, hasn't that been a part of ancient medicine the ingestion of ovaries and testicles? Um, yeah, you can eat them and, and get the same hormones out of them. Yeah. But um, it, if you do uh, squash them and make a watery extract, you're getting emulsified a whole range of uh, not just testosterone, but uh, many other steroids closely related to testosterone. So uh, it, it's a, a very ideological Thing that these textbooks and, and professors have to put down Brown Seckard yeah. before they can get on with their business. So they wanted they wanted to uh, um, put him down for this theory and discard it as a rational thought, and then uh, yeah, he he was saying that uh, the gland itself is uh, producing uh, substances that are are vitally important and that can simply. Uh, bypass many medical problems and reverse degenerative processes. Uh, so it's really a, a subject that's uh, right at the, the leading edge of, of research now, how to stop the degenerative processes. Uh, for example, in Parkinson's disease, uh, simply giving testosterone has a, a very powerful therapeutic effect. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's outside of the uh, the main line of thinking uh, with uh, 
the dopamine deficiency as yeah. the uh, the core of theorizing. Uh, uh-huh. But, but um, uh, when you start working from the, the classical observations of people like Brown Seckard and uh, uh, look at the reasons that the, the whole field changed, uh, I think it happened around the time of August Weizmann, uh, who, who is famous for uh, supposedly disproving Lamarckism. Uh-huh. By cutting off the tails of right. twelve or thirteen hundred mice, and, yeah. and saying the offspring uh, still had tails, uh, he was pretty much an idiot. But uh, <laughs> his idea was that uh, an animal differentiating the various types of tissue from an ovum, fertilized ovum, involved the uh, progressive loss of genetic information from each tissue as it became specialized. Hmm. Uh, Sort of analogous to the idea that uh, was popular uh, in brain uh, research that memory is formed by the destruction of neurons. Uh, A negative way of of looking at at what an organism is. Uh, He believes that that the brain and the skin and the eyes and such, each one had its own genetic composition uh, the egg had them all, but each of the adult tissues uh, had only a, a fraction of them. And so uh, for the whole organism to work, to function as a, as a unit, these genetically discrete parts had to have some way to communicate. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that theory, that ideology, which... Uh, related to a whole political, uh, uh, biological, medical... Uh, uh, yeah, construct, huh? Yeah, uh, uh, a culture. Uh, it, it was uh, designed for, for religious, political purposes to uh, explain uh, that an organism uh, uh, is basically mortal, that there's uh, nothing more that you can do uh, you can't uh, cure the, the incurable diseases and so on because they're uh, predetermined. Uh, and uh, that genetic idea uh, took over and, and uh, totally displaced and attacked the uh, uh, potential-filled uh, way of looking at biology of people like Brown Seckard. Interesting. Brown Seckard, okay. Uh, Brown and his last name? Uh, hyphenated brown sacard s e q u a r d it was spelled differently than I'm expecting. <laughs> anyway, getting back to that, uh, what you mentioned about the uh, structural organization, uh, the, the way the way that you would look at it, and the way that I think I can see it being logical, is that the brain structural organization of neurons leads to a better uh, genetic um, pattern or blueprint in terms of. Uh, it's like an enrichment. It's not the same thing, of course, I'm sure, but it's like a uh, environmental enrichment scenario where if the structure of the brain is being organized in a confluent way, then the neurons make better connections and therefore that can improve um, the outcome in terms Uh, of... uh, Yeah, each each cell and each part of a cell is adapting and adjusting itself uh, to the other parts. And uh, it doesn't 
have anything to do with that model that uh, you have to uh, send a signal uh, from a cell that has uh, one group of genes to other cells that have other groups of genes uh, by way of receptors and so on. Um, when the implication, when it, uh, you look at the fact that uh, a skin cell contains all the genes needed to make a brain cell and so on, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the idea of cloning an organism from a single cell means that every cell is full of potential. Right. And, uh, so it's just fact, the environment that it's exposed to that determines its... Uh, uh, yeah, and... and the, the way the organism comes into being is by each cell confronting its environment, and when it divides, the new cell becomes part of its environment. So each time cells divide, they experience themselves in a new environment, which uh, at the beginning it includes the, the uterine fluids and so on. And uh, so the, the whole... Uh, development of the organism is a process of perceiving its environment and adapting to what it perceives. Yeah. So, so the, uh, the uh, perceived world for any cell is always complex and always includes every byproduct of all of its other cells. Yeah. Uh, so the, the uh, Things such as carbon dioxide and glucose uh, are very central to the function development and uh, 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 possibilities uh, of each cell and of the whole. Uh, and the uh, so hormones, as we currently talk about them, are just one of thousands of components of substances produced by cells and uh, acting on other cells. And the, the, um, uh, one of the meanings of this is that uh, we're all in uh, slightly imperfect environments. Uh, our, our history is uh, continuously a, a matter of overcoming environmental limitations. And uh, that process is going on in the uterus as, as, as we develop and um, determining uh, how the parts relate to each other. Uh, so the... Um, that, that brings me back to a... Uh, I don't mean to cut you short, but that, that brings me back to the uh, point of in utero nutrition and how pivotal... Uh, that is, uh, in terms of what the mother's exposing the fetus to, uh, in terms of the outcome of the fetus and the growth and longevity and potential and possibility and all the rest of it that can be affected at a cellular level just from maternal uh, nutrition. And um, yeah, the, the ratio of the person's brain to body and their uh, longevity, life expectancy, and uh, the amount of energy they have at any stage of life uh, this is pretty much set by uh, the, the uh, intrauterine conditions. Uh -huh. Let me uh, let me hold you again there, Doctor P. Uh, unexpectedly, we have a caller who's uh, called in early, so let's go and take this caller, see where it's coming from, and then uh, we'll carry on with the show. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? 
Uh, Australia. Australia, cool. All right. <laughs> uh, well, it's always good to get people from all over the world. We don't want them just from Humboldt County or uh, the West Coast. Uh, but we appreciate callers from everywhere. We do, of course. Especially right. our local ones. Yeah. What's, what's your question, caller? I have a, a question for Dr. Pete. Um, I'm, and it's a bit off topic. I'm hypothyroid. I have Hashimoto's. I've been obviously fighting it for many years. Um, my pulse in the morning is around 56, and at night it's around 75. I've got low temperatures in the morning as well. So all of those using Dr. Pete's information points to uh, in a, inactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm in the subtropics. We just had you know long hot summer sweating for six months and. Okay. And so, and the sun is too intense to get out into. It's, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's really too hot to sit too long. So sometimes I'll put my legs in it. Are, are you getting enough vitamin D with just a, a small exposure? And, and, and how does that work? But my, my main question is, I haven't had PUFA for about five years. And with having, with the, trying to increase sugar and, having milk and orange juice and reducing um, cruciferous vegetables and things like that, um, I've ended up being 30 kilos overweight, and I'm really desperate to try and find a way to lose that weight without having to go on a starvation routine. Any ideas? And Oh, and I take um, pretty much primarily only T3. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Pete, I, we, we could go for this, but I know you could, and I'm sure the lady would like to hear from you. So in terms of, I guess, three questions here. One was a vitamin D exposure in terms of what kind of area of surface of skin would have to be exposed given that it's such an intense heat. Um, but I would also suspect that using a vitamin D uh, liquid supplement would be uh, would get around that. But So there was a question about the skin and vitamin D absorption, how much. Well, you could test your vitamin D with a blood test, and then you could, you'd know yeah. where you're at, and then supplement accordingly with sun and or supplement and then the uh, weight gain how old are you out of interest 50 50 okay and how much did you say you'd gained 30 kilos 30 kilos wow 66 pounds wow okay so dr p um potentially in terms of uh sluggish thyroid that could be some of the reason for it um otherwise uh in terms of uh increasing metabolic rate to help this uh, person lose weight and the fact that they only using t3 and not a supplement of t3 t4 or t4 um, the important thing is to keep your body temperature up it it should be in the range of of 98 to 99 and a half or so uh, during the daytime uh, around 37 celsius uh, a, a little higher is is fine uh, because it uh, promotes the uh, healthy oxidation uh, of the fat but keeping your liver well nourished with protein and b vitamins especially uh, the liver is able to throw off uh, the uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, recognizing them as toxic material that it would be better not to oxidize so your liver can can uh, get rid of quite a bit of of stored fat uh, largely during the night uh, your uh, free fatty acids tend to increase during the night and in the morning that shows up as foamy urine uh, a, a soapy effect from the free fatty acids and uh, uh, keeping your body temperature 
uh, up fairly well during the night by a, a good uh, amount of uh, protein, calcium, uh, and uh, all of the uh, trace nutrients in your diet. And uh, if necessary, supplementing T3, progesterone, and uh, either pregnenolone or DHEA. Uh, DHEA is anabolic for the muscles, but it activates uh, heat production. It causes you to waste heat, uh, so to speak. It isn't really wasted because it's uh, keeping your, uh, your nerve function up and your inflammation down. Uh, so making sure that you're not deficient in uh, progesterone and DHEA is important. So how's that, Cola? Um, well, I do a lot, a lot of those things, and I've, we've, most of the time in, in Brisbane here, it's 30, it, well, we've just come from months of over degree, 30 degrees every day. So, and I'm sweating all of the time, but how do you keep your temperature up? How do you, how do you make your body increase its temperature? Well, how many grams of protein do you think you're getting a day? Have you added Well, up? I have about two liters of milk and a liter of orange juice. Okay. Right, so that's um, so quart of, uh, and quart of orange maybe juice. Maybe a and bit of lamb or steak or something, if I feel like it, but not always. Um, 100 grams of protein, uh, if you're at all active, just moving around normally, you pretty much need 100 grams of protein to keep your metabolic rate up. And uh, the, the calcium in two liters of milk is probably enough calcium promotes uh, heat production and uh, uh, getting a normal amount of sodium and magnesium in your diet is important Uh, sodium works with the calcium to produce heat and um, progesterone helps to set your temperature so that your body temperature stays up uh, during the day uh, towards 37 degrees but uh, not dropping extremely during the night it's okay to cool down uh, maybe as much as one degree Fahrenheit during the night, but uh, it shouldn't go much below uh, 97.7 or 8. But I, I want to just discuss the calories because with uh, um, two liters of milk, that's you know anywhere from 800 ballooning. Yeah. to 1,200 calories there, and then you have 400 calories in uh, 400 to 500, uh, 600, depending on... What? Uh, well, I guess a liter, so that's a little bit more than a quart. And um, depending on what your metabolic rate is, if you're not getting, if your morning pulse is in the 50s yeah. and you're never getting above 75, your metabolic rate probably isn't even burning that amount of calories plus anything else you might eat during the day besides two liters of milk and a quart of orange juice. I mean, don't you think for a 50-year-old woman this might be the issue, Dr. Pete? Um, it, yeah, that's for the DHEA comes in and adjusting your your uh, T3 or other thyroid uh, and uh, uh, the um, uh, progesterone uh, setting your temperature uh, is important uh, es- estrogen tends to lower your temperature uh, so you want to keep the ratio of progesterone to estrogen pretty high uh, 100 to 1 is good so if, uh, out, out, of in, uh, out of curiosity, uh, did you, I think I heard you correctly, said that you've been poo for free for five years? 
Yeah. 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 And have you have you gained these thirty kilos over those five years? Is that what you're saying? Pretty, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Do you take your temperature and pulses? I mean, do you know? Um, do you know pretty reliably what your uh, temperature? Pretty reliably, yeah. It used to be around sixty-three, and it's recently gone lower down to fifty-six, fifty. But how about 58. your how about your temperature? What are your what are your uh, morning my temperatures? Te- my temperature is around thirty thirty. 5.836 in the morning and it does raise and I do feel heat sometimes after I eat certain things but I think I'm just taking um in order to put the amount of protein in for my liver to work I'm gaining weight at a rapid rate and just with the progesterone I take a squeeze of progesterone pretty mm-hmm. much every night when I wake up and in the middle of the night I have okay. a squeeze of that and okay. go back to bed and, 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 back and how much T3 yeah, are you I just, using? Uh, um, I take about between 20 and 40 micrograms a day. 20 to 40, okay. Uh, one of the things that can cause you to uh, produce nitric oxide, which lowers your temperature working with estrogen, uh, reversing the effects of thyroid, progesterone, and DHEA, uh, is intestinal inflammation uh, produced by bacteria eating uh, some kind of food that isn't uh, fully digested, so um, avoiding uh, anything that's hard to digest, uh, such as maybe potatoes or, or undercooked vegetables, uh, can uh, reduce the uh, nitric oxide, uh, reduce the estrogen, uh, and uh, help you to raise your temperature. Uh, sometimes just uh, having a raw carrot every day or a good portion of cooked mushrooms can uh, reduce the uh, endotoxin and nitric oxide production enough to switch your uh, progesterone-estrogen ratio in a favorable direction and raise your temperature over a period of just a few days. Did did you have any history uh, as a menstruating female of um, estrogen dominance, do you know? Yes, absolutely. You did? uh, I haven't. Um, I went through menopause at 43, <laughs> and okay. prior to that, I had uh, my estrogen level about a thousand times what it was supposed to be. Right. Have you ever noticed an antibiotic having a good effect? Um, yes. Um, yes, uh, but of course, I'm afraid to take the antibiotic for the yeast overgrowth and things like that. Um, uh, for, for yeast overgrowth... Um, the um, mushrooms and carrot sometimes uh, is enough, but uh, uh, flowers of sulfur, just a pinch of it, will uh, clear up a yeast infection pretty quickly, usually. And, is that uh, just once? Um, uh, just uh, two or three days will usually uh, eliminate a, a yeast infection. Uh, in a fertility clinic uh, about 30 years ago, uh, they they were giving antibiotics to see if it improved fertility, which it did, but a lot of the women noticed uh, they were having drastic improvements in their general health, uh, stopping migraines and uh, other estrogen-related symptoms, and it turned out that uh, the antibiotics were very quickly lowering the stress hormones and estrogen and raising uh, uh, progesterone and uh, that's been done on animals as well as people, and it is apparently uh, eliminating the endotoxin 
to, to the extent that it uh, stops producing nitric oxide and lets your uh, cells begin oxidizing intensely. Okay. But really, right. I think, I mean, if I compared your body to my body, caller, I'm 39, and in order to lose a pound a week, I had to eat 1,500 calories a day, and I'm active riding my bike and walking, so, and still menstruating, obviously, at 39. But as you get older, your metabolism slows, and so what I found helpful for some clients is that you use eggshell powder, and so you don't have to drink that same quantity of milk, although it is, you can, like Dr. Pete said, you can live for several months with no nutritional deficiencies on two quarts of milk or two liters of milk and a liter of orange juice. So it depends, you know, where you want to get it. But basically, I don't know how someone at the age of 50 who hasn't been menstruating since 43 is going to lose weight very fast on just the two liters of milk and the liter of orange juice, plus maybe some other food. Well, the other thing is the pulse is definitely seeing very low in terms of the mid-50s. That's I would probably call that a uh, sub-metabolic rate uh, for pulse. I know, Dr. P, you always recommend from a healthy perspective that your pulse is around about 75, between 75 and 85. It's actually pretty good. Um, it's a good indicator of metabolic rate for somebody who's actively um, burning glucose oxidatively and his uh, thyroid's working properly in order to, to, to generate the heat that we would expect to reach uh, 98.6 on a kind of daily, at, a midday from there on and or above basis every day. Well, yeah, and if you're not even reaching those normal mm. temperatures, then your metabolism is even slower than normal. Because with yeah. my metabolism of 1,500 calories a day and one pound weight loss a week after my pregnancies, you know, that my pulse was up to 90, 92, and my temperature was up to 98.6, 99 after I ate. Uh, sometimes a little bit of coconut oil can uh, increase your heat production. Yep. Yeah, I use coconut oil for cooking. But it sounds like that it's pointing to uh, um, endotoxin in the gut. Well, that that in the uh, suboptimal met- metabolic rate, you don't sound that you don't sound me- metabolic from a, uh, a thyroid temperature and pulse perspective. You know, regardless of using 20 or 40 micrograms of T3, I know that's a fair amount of um, thyroid, really, but uh, it's very different from person to person. I've known quite a few people who use significantly more than that are still not getting rapid pulse. They're still, uh, you know, round about the temperature they want to be, but especially in people, and here's the other thing, and Dr. Peter will concur with this, uh, people that are overweight definitely uh, have a more of an uphill struggle um, using thyroid in order to generate metabolic rate to help shed weight because the very weight itself is uh, makes it kind of re- resistant uh, for thyroid hormone to be absorbed by the cells. And keeping your serum vitamin D around the middle of the range, 50 to yeah. 55 or 60 nanograms per milliliter, uh, middle of the range is... is uh, helpful for keeping your temperature metabolic rate up and the carrots will also help absorb the fat in the food too can you have the carrot at the same time as other food i thought that sort of stopped the digestion or slowed down the digestion of other things it slows it down but um it it's helpful for losing weight because it binds some of the fat you've eaten and carries it out of your body too and and some of the material that your liver is excreting in the bile 
uh, is carried out, uh, especially estrogen, which is excreted in the bile. It'll be reabsorbed if you don't have a, a constant flow of material, such as carrots or mushrooms, through your intestine. Okay. I think the other right. uh, the the other perspective there just to, just to wrap this up, uh, I was in terms of uh, in terms of liver support. I think that would be uh, a pretty good direction to be going in, making sure that you've got um, obviously you're getting enough sugars in terms of uh, glycogen storage from well, the fructose. Would be with the yeah, no, that yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm thinking about uh, mm-hmm. liver stimulants, liver bitters, uh, or even things like milk thistle that would support hepatic function. Um, that hepatic yeah. that hepatic function in its own right would go to um, remove waste, and given that you have an estrogen dominance picture in your in your, in, in your life, that the estrogen itself would be totally responsible for increased water gain and weight gain through that estrogenizing effect. And what Dr. Pete's talking about with the ratio of uh, progesterone to estrogen, it would be quite useful to get your estradiol and your progesterone tested, so you see what your ratio is because. Although probably, in menopausal women, didn't you say, Dr. Pete, that it can just be mostly stored in the cells and not in the blood? Oh, oh. The but estrogen? But if, if you're using progesterone, that will bring the, uh, it, it knocks out the estrogen-binding protein, liberating the estrogen into the bloodstream. Okay, so it would be, it would be... Uh, yeah, you can measure it uh, if you're using progesterone, the, the measurement is meaningful okay that's what i meant to say it would be a meaningful measurement then so that would uh, that would also be another useful piece of data to um uh, corroborate e- either a, a continual estrogen dominance that is predisposing you to water weight gain um and that raising your progesterone to estradiol ratio uh, would help that that you definitely would need to get your temperature impulses up beyond where you're currently at and that would probably uh, mean uh, increasing slowly your dose of t3 in order to achieve that and, and taking note of your temperature impulses and then liver um, stimulants even things like milk thistle to be liver supportive uh, and also uh, help excretion of waste products and that in terms of the fiber from raw carrot in the bowel would also help to reduce excess estrogen that way that would uh, lower your overall toxic burden and like Dr. Pete was saying, the mushrooms, because they're, right. uh, you know, a Aromatase. good fiber, and then they're also anti-estrogen. Yeah. Uh, and Red button mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, and so just make sure they're really well cooked. Yeah. And two drugs that help the liver uh, maintain its high activity are Cascara Sagrada, uh, which... Yeah, I take that. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's anti-inflammatory and sort of a liver tonic, and uh, aspirin. Yep. Excellent. I will thank you very, very much, and I will put it put your advice into work. See if I yeah. can lose some weight. Is it is so? It's detrimental to actually reduce my cal- caloric intake. Is that right? No. Well, not just, too no, low. Yeah, you no, wouldn't want to get your. You want to keep your protein up as, you know, seventy five to hundred grams, like Dr. Pete mentioned, and your sugars. Uh, I think I was getting one pound a week weight loss. I think I was getting one hundred and fifty grams of non-starchy carbohydrates from juice and milk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't want to go too low because, on the sugars because then you'll run on stress hormones. So, really, in order to lose weight, you just have to really calorie count, but make sure you're getting the right nutrients, getting the calories from the right nutrients like proteins and sugars rather than from 
uh, very calorific sources yeah. like fat, because you, you can make your own fat from the good sugars. And, and doing a little muscle-building exercise, mm-hmm. such as uh, dumbbell uh, lifting, just, just two or three Hello. minutes at a time, uh, helps yeah. to shift the hormone ratio. How much did you say? Sorry, the phone cut out. He said some uh, gentle weight-bearing exercises with dumbbells. Because yep. that that will stim- th- that will stimulate muscle production, and muscles are very effective uh, means for burning sugars and burning uh, calories. Okay. All right. Well, thank, thank you so much. For yeah, thank you for your, thank you for your call, call. If you ever need to get in contact with us, you can uh, email me Andrew at Western Botanical Medicine dot com. Okay, let's take this uh, next caller. See where you're from, thank caller. You. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Um. I'm from Garberville. My question is about poison oak. I got my first case ever, and I wanted to know what kind of botanical aid I could get. Well, we produce a product called Allergy Ease, and it's sold at Chautauqua, and it's a whole bunch of different antihistamine herbs. Allergy Ease. Allergy Ease, and I've had lots of good reports from people if they start that as soon as they start the itching. Okay, great. Before it gets and too out of hand, you yeah, know, I think before you, the histamine gets too out of yeah. control. If, if, Otherwise, you know, yeah. uh, a clean diphenhydramine product or Benadryl, uh-huh. if, the, if the herbs are not effective enough. Yeah, I did that right away. That did help a little, but as a first-timer, I uh-huh. just Are you breaking out in uh, kind of weeping? weeping? No, no, not much that yet. badly, okay. but swelling, um, yeah. you know, at the corner's one side of my mouth so uh-huh. um, it, it might not be too late it all depends yeah it all depends how far along you are you know if you can get it early enough the allergies could be quite useful um yeah and you want to you want to try to get on it as soon as possible because you know you don't want to end up having to take cortisol or yeah something like that but keeping your sugars up your good sugars your fructose fruit oh, sugars okay. and honey and sugars oh good I'm will really to help that, to keep I'm histamine really from craving them in the evening well yeah it will help to keep histamine from being released and i have one other question um i t- it turned out i had my first ever wart on the bottom of my foot mm-hmm. and i was wondering I, I think it's a plantar wart it's not you know huge but i was wondering what besides these band-aids with salicylic acid on them can you recommend uh, or just nutritionally how to fight a I'll give you a botanical perspective of a plant that's actually excellent for the treatment of warts, uh, and that's uh, Caledonium magus, uh, the greater celandine. And right now, spring is a good time to uh, find it because it's actually growing right now, and it hasn't flowered yet, which is ideally when you should pick it. Um, you'll know greater celandine from its yellow flowers, and it's in the poppy family. Um, and when you break the stem of it, it exudes a yellow uh, latex it's actually not a latex, but it's an exudate. It's a bit like a latex, but it's bright orange-yellow. Uh-huh. Um, and if you dab that all over the plantar wart, and you do that for yeah, probably a week, uh-huh. um, you'll find that the wart will just go black, uh, their skin will start to peel off, and you'll effectively have gotten rid of it. That sounds wonderful. It's a woodland plant, so you need to... I know, to, but it's not, really, it's not native here. It is in England. Well, so no, yeah, well, we, we have it. Where can you find it around here? Because I do hmm. live in the woods. Um. Well, it's not native around here. And the other thing that is what you could find is dandelion um, sap. It's not as effective as the greater celandine, but it can also help with warts. And you just pick the stem of the dandelion, of the leaf or the flower, and a white exudate comes out. 
and you dab that on the wart. So you could try that if you have dandelions. Yeah, I'm sure I have those, but I'd really love to get the greater celandine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you know anybody who can find it around here, well, I'm sure people have gro- are growing it in their garden. It's a weed, essentially. It's a kind of uh, woodland weed. It's become a weed in our garden, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's not really a weed in, in Northern California here. But, Dr. Pete, what do you recommend for warts? Oh, that sounds as good as anything I know. Okay. All right, cool. And the salicylic acid isn't, you know, that's not that's a pretty safe treatment as well. I, I think it's good. What about formic acid? I, I think salicylic is best. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll, I'll you're welcome. try to find the celandine. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for your call. Bye. Okay, well, Dr. Pete, uh, gosh, it's, uh, it's 10 to 8 and we haven't done anything. Uh, I haven't even given the number out. Uh, I guess we'll just take the next 10, 10 minutes as they come and let me just tell people what the call-in number is, uh, if they'd like to call. Uh, local number, 707 area code, uh, 923-3911. Or if you're outside the area or in Brisbane, Australia, it's uh, 1-800-568-3723. So we'd love to hear you. Well, from, uh, from Australia or any other international, they'll have to dial 707-923-3911. <laughs> Yeah, because 800 numbers don't work outside of the country. Correct. But Dr. Pete, getting back to what you were saying about the environment on the developing fetus, and then doesn't that haven't there been studies to show like babies that are left to cry themselves to sleep raises the cortisol of the brain and that affects the structure and function of the brain cells? Um, yeah, um, everything is a stress to different extents, and uh, you want to minimize all of the stresses. And uh, I think the uh, earlier you begin uh, prenatally or uh, in newborns, uh, minimizing the stress is going to uh, maximize the life potential. Uh, So uh, crying is is a sign of stress. And so uh, finding out what the cause is is important. Okay. Well, getting, I guess getting, getting back to the uh, topic of uh, this month's show, um, in terms of the endocrine system, um, well, I was going to go next to the hypothalamus as being the next structure uh, to open up and look into. And I think I really what I wanted to try and generate in people uh, is an amazing uh, fascination of something so complex and so intricate and such a miracle um, that... It's still very hard to grasp, even when you read hardcore scientific texts elucidating every known fact, as it were, in terms of the quest for knowing all about it. Um, And the hypothalamus is just one of those organs uh, that is classed as an endocrine organ. Um, So... I, I think I probably just wanted to just run through, and that was the that was the uh, the, the the hope. And obviously, I think we're going to have to carry this on next week. It was going to be a several next a, a several sorry next month. It was going to be a several month topic, the endocrine system, because it's not a small subject. But I obviously wanted to pull out many different uh, perspectives from each organ secretion and how they interplay, because I know. There's all sorts of hormones involved, and thyroid hormone is one of them. Uh, and then there's things like luteinizing hormone. Um, you've got all the sex hormones, um, and then all those hormones that control uh, f- even mood. I mean, there's fairly new uh, research out now that's uh, showing um, a lot of inter- interference uh, between mood uh, and 
people's uh, aggression, uh, male behavior in terms of uh, aggressiveness uh, and the hormones, how they interplay and how uh, an organ secretion is either turned down or turned up by the target that it's reaching and how the target, when it's uh, sufficiently uh, stimulated or inhibited, has a feedback back to the point of origin to tell it to calm down again. So the whole thing is really quite an amazing engine. But I guess starting uh, with the hypothalamus, um, looking at, uh, I guess, uh, thyrotropin-releasing hormone. Uh, and again, the, the hypothalamus seems to d direct a lot of its uh, attention towards the anterior pituitary. Um, so, Dr. P, uh, in terms of uh, structure function, I wondered, I was reading this when I was um, putting this material together, that the hypothalamus itself, TRH, thyrotropin-releasing hormone, uh, stimulates TSH release, uh, which is a thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is something we talk about a lot in terms of uh, moving into action the production of uh, thyroid hormone, uh, and this comes from the pituitary, uh, as well as thyrotropin-releasing hormone stimulating prolactin from the anterior pituitary. And I was wondering, <laughs> it might be a stupid question, but I thought I'd have to ask you, because you probably know the reason, but and hopefully it's not too simple, but uh, the the fact that prolactin is released as well as thyroid-stimulating hormone from thyrotropin's action, how come how come it doesn't generate any kind of milk production in uh, in, in, in non-lactating females? It, it, <laughs> uh, it very often does. Um, for many many years, I've I've noted, uh, noticed that uh, when a woman complains of uh, menorrhagia or mm -hmm. a prolonged excessive menstruation, yeah. they're often yeah. secreting milk, uh, uh, even if they've never been pregnant. Or, or especially if, if they've had a couple of kids, uh, the hormone changes that lead to the excessive menstruation uh, also are, are causing uh, prolactin excess, probably growth hormone excess too. Too much growth hormone causes lactation. But it's really not uncommon for a, a, a middle-aged woman to have chronic uh, milk formation associated with the uh, overactivity of the thyroid system because their thyroid gland itself isn't um, able to produce the uh, the active hormones right. and the feedback process to Got turn it. off the pituitary. Uh, almost everything the pituitary does, it, it has its constructive adaptive effect, overcoming whatever is causing stress to the whole organism um, in response to the the changed feedback system, but in itself, the uh, substances produced in the pituitary are all harmful if they are continued. Right. So what you want to do is have such a responsive, high metabolic system that you can, the tissue can respond fully to a little bit of pituitary hormone and turn it off quickly. Yeah. Uh, animals that have their pituitaries removed that are given a supplement of uh, cortisol and thyroid uh, will often live two or three times longer than animals that are normal with a normal pituitary function, uh, showing that the pituitary, to the extent that it's overactive, 
is shortening your your life and shrinking your potential. So this is why you recommend TSH being as low as possible and Um, ACTH being as low as possible. Uh, Yeah, all of the pituitary hormones, I think, should be kept minimal. Interesting. Because if your body's producing enough thyroid and enough cortisol and enough estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, then your pituitary hormones will be minimal. Yeah, and your skin, if you get sunburned or have an inflammation, Mm -hmm. poison oak or anything uh, that's hurting your skin, your skin can produce the pituitary hormones as well as stress hormones of various types. So every simple little tissue, your tonsils, uh, uh, any any simple-looking tissue, if it's stressed, will produce pituitary hormones, estrogen, uh, you see, this is, this is really what I wanted to get into, the meat and potatoes of uh, what you understand in terms of uh, the physiological effects because when we're at uh, med school or other schools that study uh, physiology and other types of uh, disciplines surrounding medicine, it's not what you get taught. Um, anyway, it's three minutes to eight. So, uh, well, I, we did get taught that um, hormones can be stored in the fat cells. Well, yeah, and okay. Released. But well, I wanted to bring out a little more. But anyway, thank you so much for your time, Doctor Pete. I really appreciate your uh, spending your time here. Okay, thank thanks you. for joining the show, Doctor Pete, and thank you, callers. Okay, so uh, we are going to run through this next month. So we'll carry on endocrinology part three and we'll get into the rest of these uh, hormones and things like corticotropin-releasing hormone, dopamine you've heard of, growth hormone-releasing hormone, somatostatin, gonadotropin, oxytocin, uh, and how these exert their effects, the uh, mechanisms by which they exert their effects, how they can be disrupted, how they can become aberrant and cause disease, uh, but in the basis of the understanding of metabolic energy, con- you know, uh, concerned with the ordered uh, structure, function, uh, arrangement in the body, um, there'll be lots of examples of how things can be pulled back into a normal pattern. Uh, but anyway, uh, for those people who've uh, listened to Dr. Pete this evening and for the callers, uh, if anybody wants to find out more about Dr. Pete and his fully referenced uh, scientific articles uh, that he has on his website freely for downloading or reading or printing or whatever, it's uh, raypeat.com, so www.ray peat.com um, similarly like I said at the beginning of the show we archive uh, all of the shows that we've done with Dr. Pete uh, over these last uh, 9 or 10 years uh, I'm in the process of getting all the 2016's and the few months of 2017's uploaded to the server um, but the uh, all the other years are there so for those people who've called in uh, thanks for your questions um, for those people um, who've heard a little bit about Dr. Pete there's plenty more to be found out uh, from his website and um, we can also be reached Monday through Friday uh, 1-888-WBM-HERB uh, and our website is westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Thanks so much for your time. See you next month. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>